This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our first reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun, and see, all is a vanity and a chasing after the wind. I hated all my toil which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me, and who knows whether they will be wise or foolish. Yet they will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned and gave my heart up to despair concerning all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes one who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave all to be enjoyed by another who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. Holy wisdom, holy word. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator, In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and in all. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter. 
Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to judge or be an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Got home last night to enjoy a happy hour with my family and saw the news about the mass shooting in El Paso, Texas. Woke up this morning to the news of a mass shooting in Dayton. And just wonder why things don't change. Why we keep staggering on the way that we do. I suppose part of it is we don't like dwelling on bad news. It's hard to keep such stories before us and to stay focused on them. It's like picking at a scab over and over again. And so it's easy to turn away and to turn our attention to happier things. Else, perhaps, we start to sound like this reading from Ecclesiastes, which, by the way, the word means the preacher. And I wonder sometimes how long I would be a preacher if my sermon sounded like what we get in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, why do we even bother it's all futile. It all comes to nothing. <sighs> Go home. And yet, with these kinds of stories constantly coming before us, it is hard to avoid 
the unpleasant and unsettling conclusion that life is fragile and unpredictable. And that death is never very far away. No matter how much we turn our attention away, no matter how much we try to pretend it isn't there. During the plague in Europe, the Black Death, if you look at artwork from that time, it makes it clear that at least for a while, they were painfully aware that death was right there with them all the time. In their artwork, you would see people going about their day-to-day business, cooking, dancing, getting married. But there in the background, you would see death. You would see the grim reaper capering in the background as if to make a mockery of everything they were doing. And indeed, it seems that if we allow ourselves to awaken to the truth around us, we see it. We like to think that our lives are all about life, that our normal state of being is as vital, alive beings until finally something comes along, an aberration that snuffs us short. But the fact is, the more we connect with other people, the more we learn that You know, we are dealing with stuff all the time. And if it doesn't happen to be us, then it's someone we know. It's someone we love. It's someone we are familiar with. Death is our constant companion through life. We don't choose to dwell on it usually because it isn't good at parties. It isn't good for friendships. We like to try to support each other. Buck up. And so we talk of happier things. And then someone like this stupid preacher comes along to remind us that this is the nature of life. Perhaps Jesus has had a bad day. In fact, it's probably a fairly good bet to say Jesus has had a bad day. Since we heard from him last Sunday when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he has been hectored by the religious leaders he has, let, he has read off a list of woes directed at them and perhaps becoming increasingly aware of the shortness of his own time. Here today, when someone in amongst his listeners raises up a small-minded and frankly small-hearted concern, 
Jesus turns on him and tells him this dark story. There was a man who had everything going for him, who had everything his heart could desire, so much so that he had to build larger storage units to put all of his stuff in. And believe me, I could preach a whole sermon on storage units and the stuff we cram in there. I'll build larger storage units to contain all my stuff. And then I'll say, soul, take it easy. Relax. Finally, finally, we can enjoy life. And it's when he gets to that bit about soul, relax that we start to get a little uncomfortable because it starts to sound a little too close to home. After all, what is it that we do with our lives day to day? We toil, we work, we try to provide for ourselves and our families. All the time thinking eventually the day will come Ah, when we can retire, when we can take it easy. And judging by the look on Kevin's face right now, even then, we tend to realize, you know, retirement never quite comes out quite like we were planning. But we think that finally, after putting life off, we'll get to live. A person I knew in my last congregation had a similar experience. She and her husband, after working hard to provide for their retirement, had made plans to travel in Europe, except when he retired finally, when they both were free of work obligations, they made plans, but their dogs were very old. And they figured it just wasn't fair to put them in a kennel. After all, surely they can't last for more than another year. We'll wait for the dogs to die and then we'll go. The only problem was her husband beat the dogs to it. And... I remember her <laughs> saying to me at the funeral, God bless her. She said, you know, pastor, don't wait for the dogs to die. We have a tendency to put life off. Waiting to get everything else out of the way before we begin to really live. Which is what this man in today's gospel story does. He has put off life, and his life up to that time can be stacked in storage bins. And the only problem is when he finally gets around to living, 
There's no more living to be done. And at this point, we wait for Jesus to come around to some kind, for, to some kind of moral. We wait for Jesus to bring this story around to some sort of edifying conclusion. But he leaves it hang right there. Shrugging his shoulders as if to say, what are you going to do? So it is. With everyone who builds up this kind of of living, who invests themselves in these kinds of treasures. And the story just stops. And we're left with that uncomfortable feeling that maybe we have been sucked into this story and perhaps are intended to find ourselves in their somewhere, and indeed, theologians wrestle with this story, trying to wring meaning out of it. Augustine suggested that this foolish man should not have put his riches into barns, but into the bellies of the poor. He should have stored them there, and perhaps he's right. But in another story of a rich man that sounds hauntingly familiar, Luke also speaks of a rich man who, content with all that he has, dies and discovers just how blind he was, never having seen the poor man Lazarus who lay at his very gate And indeed, in today's story, the rich man dies and fails to see anyone at all other than himself and his barns. But in both cases, we're offered a glimpse into what comes afterwards. That somehow those riches were ill-spent and misunderstood because in both cases the riches were understood to belong to the individual alone. The rich man in the story of Lazarus and the rich man thought that it was all his and failed to see the poor man on his doorstep. And in today's story, he thinks it's all his and fails to see anything at all. And in both cases, they fail to understand how we are connected one to another. That it is an illusion that we think that we begin here and another begins there. That there is air between us when in fact we are joined in spirit, we are joined 
in origin. We are joined in destination. We are joined in being part of the one great family of God. Such that when we are told that we are created in God's image, the question becomes not, well, which one of us, which one of our images? But rather, we are created in the image of God, all of us together required to finally make up God's visage. And that the mistake comes when we think we can disregard one or another. When we think we can overlook this one or that one. We are all required. And we are all part of that great and holy family And God calls us to see each other. Really see each other. We wait for this story to resolve. We wait for it to come around to some kind of edifying conclusion. But as Jesus sometimes does, he stops infuriatingly short. Leaving us dangling. leaving us to answer for ourselves. Where is this story taking us? And what we find is that we become like Ebenezer Scrooge. We are taken down to the very gates of hell itself only then realizing how we are connected with those around us, how our fate and theirs are intertwined, how our lives and theirs are intertwined, how our gifts and our possessions are intertwined. And there standing at the very gate of oblivion, of hell, of call it what you will. We are allowed the great gift of waking up, of having seen that vision and yet still being able to do something about it. To finally see those around us and to finally recognize the true nature of our wealth, of our lives, of ourselves, that we do not exist as islands. We do not exist as individuals. We exist in community. We exist as one great living body of Christ who will not allow himself to be separated, who in his own death and life and resurrection affirms that there is no space between us, that Christ's 
death is our death. Christ's life is our life. Christ's being is our being. And so there, standing at the brink of death, standing at the brink of hell, like Ebenezer Scrooge, we are allowed to recoil and to come back. And for what in one moment was a terror becomes a moment of joy and laughter to realize that we are not gone. We are not beyond. We are still alive. And are given a second chance to look around and see the people around us, see the need around us, and to recognize that what we have is not ours. It is ours. That what we have comes as a gift from God not so that we can kick back and ignore the world around us, but that so that we can recognize our common familial roots and reach out to those around us and care for those around us so that together as God's great family, we might live until the day that we really live in God's kingdom. The sort of horrific shootings that we hear about so, so often only become possible when you can look at another person and not see yourself in them when you can see them as some kind of other, when you can see them as someone who just doesn't count, when you see them as a thing and not a person. But today's story brings us back to the constant realization that our treasure is not kept in barns. Our treasure is kept in each other. Amen.